You're listening to the Keep Going Podcast, where we keep going after the heart of God, because He's our only hope. I'm Nika Maples. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 1 of the Keep Going Podcast. We're in a series called Hope Hunters. Just a note, I don't approach these podcasts as a scholar, but as a lover of the Word who wants to share simple spiritual observations from my own daily Bible reading. Some of you may know that I wrote a book called Hunting Hope. I'm fascinated by people who keep going when others would have given up or become bitter. I call these people hope hunters, because when they don't have hope, they've learned to hunt for it. And when they're in a season of darkness, they look for light. My first guest in the Hope Hunter series is my friend Bill. I think you will enjoy his classic East Texas accent as much as I do. He's a proud Aggie from Texas A&M University, and he's been an equine and large animal vet for more than 40 years. But even more impressive than that, he's been happily and loyally married for more than 50 years. And that's a feat to celebrate these days. In the next few minutes, you'll have a chance to listen in on a conversation that Bill and I had about the day that made him a hope hunter. He was chopping down trees on the 16 heavily wooded acres where he lives when a freak accident shifted his perspective on everything from pain to compassion to perseverance. So Saturday morning, I was out there cutting down trees, and I had cut down five of them, cut them down, cut them up, and hauled them off without any problem, but number six uh, didn't read the book and didn't fall like it was supposed to. And so it was right next to a power line, and so I had chained the tree off so it wouldn't fall into the power line. And as I cut part of the tree, I went back to put a little tension on the tree, and when I did, uh, the tree popped off the stump and rotated in the air. I don't remember anything after that. We think that I laid on the ground approximately three hours after the accident before I woke up. I was knocked unconscious probably about three hours. Uh, I was probably conscious about 20 minutes before people found me. And so it was down in the woods where it was hard to find me and hard to see me. So actually nobody knew I was down there. So before we get to the exactly what your injuries were, tell us when you first came to, you realized you were you were face down, right? Correct. Face down in the dirt. Uh, one arm, my right arm was underneath me. Uh, my face was buried in the dirt a little bit. Of course, I was in a lot of briars and bushes, so I had a lot of briars and stuff stuck on me and stuck all around me. Uh, of course, when I woke up, being of the medical profession, you start triaging yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I realized that my right arm was broke because I was laying on it. It hurt really bad. Uh, I knew my left arm was broke because it hurt really bad. I had bit almost completely through my bottom lip because mm-hmm. uh, I had blood in my mouth. But I could move my legs. I could move my back. I could move. It hurt, but I could move everything. So I felt Pretty good that I didn't have a spinal injury, uh, but my left foot hurt for some reason. I found out later it was fractured. So, And what was your first thought about how to get help? What was your first um, action to take? 
Well, I'm sitting there thinking after I went through the triage, I'm thinking I'm way down in the woods and probably nobody's going to hear me. So I did start hollering for help, uh, not realizing then what was exactly wrong, but I had four broke ribs. So you can imagine taking a deep breath was a little painful. Uh, so I would kind of get up the courage to uh, holler help and I would holler and then I would lay there for a few minutes breathing hard, mm-hmm. uh, trying to get up enough courage because the pain was pretty severe when you mm-hmm. when you cry. So I just started hollering help, hoping someone would eventually get there. So when help eventually came, tell us how that happened. Well, it was kind of unusual. About uh four or five hundred yards from the house there was a young man playing a video game in his bedroom but it was a warm february day in east texas which we get those and he was playing a video game and every once in a while the video game would holler help and he thought that was very unusual (laughs) that it would holler help uh, because he wasn't playing a game that that would be there so he finally turned the game off and walked into the kitchen and asked his mother if he was she was hearing anything and she said no so he walks out on the, his back porch and sits there listening. And when I hollered help again, he knew who it was and where it was. Uh, and he started uh, running toward me. And as he was running through the woods, he was calling my name because he couldn't find me. I was down in the brush. Uh, but I could hear him coming through the woods to get there. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that was an unforgettable moment of relief. Well, he sounded like an angel coming through, those, <laughs> coming through those woods. Yes, yes, that I was finally found. Right. Wow. Um, and he called the paramedics? Well, when he got there, uh, eventually my wife, who was looking for me, uh, they got there almost at the same time. Uh, and so he, I think you, my wife went and called for the Jan called for the paramedics. And then his younger brother went up to the road because that was before... You had the 911 addresses living in the country. Uh, so he went up to the road to meet the ambulance. His brother and his mother stayed with me, and the grandfather came and prayed with me. Mm, really? And how did you, that prayer, um, I'm sure that in your heart you had been praying. Yes. The whole time. Yes. Um, talk a little bit about what that felt like. I mean, what kind of, what kind of conversation did you have with God when you were face down in the dirt? <laughs> You know, when you're going through that, you're going through so many emotions, it's hard to remember exactly what you had because it's still kind of a a void in my memory. I do remember the grandfather coming and praying over me, and I thought that was a a good relief. It was the boy's Mm. grandfather, which I had met and known, and so that was a relief then that they were there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So after we'll, we'll skip the ambulance ride. Well, after the initial, um, just evaluation, what kind of treatments did you have to endure? Yeah. The injuries were, after I got there were, were pretty bad. Uh, of course, when I get into the hospital, of course they dope you up. You don't remember much about it, but, uh, the injuries were, I broke C7, T1, T2, T3. I crushed T12. I broke both sides of 11 and both sides of 12 ribs. I broke both forearms, the left one in one place, the right one in two places. I broke my right collarbone, right shoulder, and my left foot. Now, Mm -hmm. how the left foot got thrown in there, I don't know, but Mm -hmm. that's what I broke. Mm -hmm. 
So after, was it weeks or months? It took about a month before I could get up and get around. Right. So, and in your line of work, being that it is so physical, it, it wouldn't be just, you couldn't just ease back into it, right? I mean, how, no, how did you make the transition from not being able to walk across the room to dealing with horses? Well, I will tell you, it's kind of one of those things where my living room is a big open room. And so every day I would, as long as I could stand it, I'd walk around the room. And I'd, if I made one trip, I'd sit down. Then I'd make two trips and then I'd make three trips. And I just thought if I can keep walking and making those trips, it'll get better to build yourself up. And that's what I primarily concentrated on was walking to try to get better, just trying to build up some stamina, just trying to get up and get ability. I didn't have any physical problem with, uh, you know, appendages working and all that sort of thing. Uh, the feeling came back in my hand pretty quickly. Uh, it was just the pain of the broken T12 and the ribs and all that healing and just being so exhausted. It was just so hard to make yourself get up and go. But I wanted to go back to work. This is the point that I think is most interesting to anyone who's listening, who's going through a season of darkness, because they reach that point where normal life is impossible, and they have to decide to do some small thing and to do it consistently and to work through the pain. And you talk about, you just circled the room. That's all you had. You had the safety of your own home, and you could just walk around the room until you got tired and you walk around again and you were driven because you wanted to go back to the work that you love. How did you do that though? When it was so painful, just the desire to work alone was enough to keep you circling the room. That's kind of hard. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm hard headed. People don't know that. <laughs> it was just, I'm going to get better. Yeah. And no one can make you better, but yourself. Yeah. So you have to realize that. Yeah. And you have to face it. Yeah. And then you have to say, okay, here we go. Did it ever cross your mind to just give up? No. I'm hard-headed enough, no. <laughs> uh, I thought I could do it. Uh, I thought, you know, Lord, whatever you dealt with me, here we go. Uh, but I thought I could do it and uh, just kept walking and trying to get better and trying to get stronger. Uh, and it worked. I mean, the longer I walked, the better I got, the better I felt. Mm -hmm. uh, but you live in pain. I still live. It's in, been almost 16 years. I still live with pain mm -hmm. every day. Uh, but you just have to make up your mind. Are you going to give in to it or are you going to live with it? Right. So um, did you ever feel sorry for yourself? Sure. <laughs> Everybody feels for themselves. My problem is I didn't want to be a burden to other people. And, you know, I just didn't want to do that. Never have been. Uh, so I just wanted to get better. Uh, no, I never really gave up to the point that I was just going to give up and never do it again. I was going to go back to work. Mm -hmm. That was mm -hmm. my goal. Mm -hmm. I've always been pretty goal-oriented. Uh -huh. So don't set the goal too far in front of you. Mm -hmm. Set a goal you can achieve and make that one, and then go set you another one so you can achieve that one, and then go make you another one. Mm -hmm. I think that's important to set little goals so you can get to the big goal. Right. That's good. That's good. So it was just like, I'm going to walk around the living room two times today, two laps. Yeah, you get one lap, and you think, I can't go another one. You go, yeah, you can. Mm -hmm. So you and make you the do. second one. <laughs> and then you sit down and think, oh, I can't do that again. And then you get up and you go, no, I made two last time, so i got to make three this time. Mm-hmm. 
And so that's what I did. Just constantly walked and walked and tried to get better. Mm-hmm. So um, how has living with pain for 16 years or having also having gone through uh, that season of darkness um, when, when it just did, you didn't, couldn't see how long it would take to get back right, to work? Yeah. You never you know. know. You don't know how long it's going to take. Right. So how has all of that changed you in your perspective? Well, it's hard for you to realize how it's changed yourself. Others will tell you that it sure makes you a lot more empathetic for people. You can always be sympathetic, but some problem with sympathy is that, you know, unless you've gone through it, it's just sympathy. If you have gone through it and you know what pain is and you live through it, uh, then you can have a whole lot of empathy for people that have pain without having a whole lot of pain. It was, it was hard to be sympathetic. Right. Without having the pain. You, you thought pain was psychological or maybe just like somebody making it well, up as an excuse, maybe? Yes. You exactly. said that until that time I mean, you I, had not missed a day of work yourself, so you just... Well, I had, yeah, I had been beat up and knocked over and run kick, over and kicked. What, what and, kind of injuries are in your line of work anyway? Being kicked by a horse? I've been kicked, pawed, bit, run over, slammed against the wall, knocked out. <laughs> you named it. But... It and never, that was all painful. They were all very painful. But, but you, just you just smiled. Work, you just worked through it. it. Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't, if, if you give into your pain, I always thought if you give into your pain, then you're showing weakness and then you're a weak person. So, mm-hmm. you know, don't show weakness. But right. uh, sometimes uh, the Lord and, and pain have a way of uh, humbling you. Right. And I think that's the first time I was really humbled. Really? Really humbled. It's going, wow, you know, this is bad. It was something you couldn't figure out. You're a thinker. You yeah. prepare, you plan. We yeah. talked about how you're left brain. Yeah, so left brain. Think like an engineer, even. Yeah, you got to think two weeks ahead. <laughs> right. And so, but you found yourself in a position that no amount of planning or preparation could get you out of. No. Right. right. And that's and that, humbling. And that's very humbling. Pride may have been a problem. I didn't have much empathy for people mm-hmm. that were painful because I've been injured a mm-hmm. lot, but I just got up and. Got right. over it and went mm-hmm. back. So I think that was a very humbling experience to mm-hmm. make you realize that, you know, pride may be a problem you got. Or, you know, not having true empathy for people, I think, is a is wrong. You, right. you need to have empathy for people. Right. Compassion and yes. yeah. patience. Patience, yes. So how has this uh, affected your relationship with the Lord? Well, you know, a lot of people say, "Did it was it a life-changing experience? No, it was not a life-changing oh, okay. experience for me. <laughs> it was not because it was something that the Lord and I had kind of worked this out in the past. My philosophy in life has always been if I can do something about it, I do it. Mm-hmm. And if I can't, it's the Lord's, not mine. Mm-hmm. That was interesting to me when we were talking earlier today and you said, you don't really worry. I don't so worry. many people worry. I mean, it's just a natural knee-jerk reaction is to worry about the future, about the things. So you're telling me that you weren't that worried about this situation. I was worried about how it would affect my family mm-hmm. and my livelihood and how I was going to make the money because being the breadwinner of the house, you mm-hmm. know, I worried about that sort of thing. But I thought, well, I'm going to work as hard as I can work to get through this. And then if it doesn't happen, then it doesn't happen. And then I'm going to have to change my perspective. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, I'm going to do everything I can do. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to see what happens at the end. And then I'm going to accept whatever that is with patience. Just accept it. You know, I've always been the one that played with the 
cards have been dealt with. So mm-hmm. I was and going to try to work as good as I could, as hard as I could, uh, and then let the Lord take care of the rest because mm-hmm. there's nothing I can do about it. All I can do is me. Mm-hmm. He he can do the rest. Mm-hmm. He'll take so care I don't of you. I don't worry. It drives my wife crazy a lot of times, but mm-hmm. I don't worry about a lot of things. Mm-hmm. You said you just keep going. You just see what, what's on your plate for the day, for the week. You just keep going. Keep going. That's right. Um, so was there ever a time, you're in a chapter in Hunting Hope. I wrote about your story in a chapter called He Let It Happen. So was there ever a time when you were angry at God thinking, you know, I you could have just like moved that tree two feet and it might have fallen beside me and not on me. Did that ever cross your mind? The only thing that crossed my mind is that he let it go just close enough to hurt me and not kill me. Uh, so it comes back to perspective. Yes. <laughs> She's a class half full. I didn't get killed. I could have easily, two more inches one direction, I'd have been dead. Right. Right. So I never looked at it like, why did you let it hit me at all? I always looked, thank you for not letting it kill me. Yes. It's an excellent perspective to have. It's the only one to have, really. So what advice would you have to anyone who's right in the middle of that moment when they're just waking up in a hospital bed and saying, what do I do now? Trust in the Lord. Realize you got to have patience, but to me, patience is waiting calmly. Uh, perseverance is that thing where you just hang on by the end of your nails. <laughs> that's perseverance, and that's what you got to have. You got to have perseverance. Uh, you feel helpless, you feel useless, you feel worthless to a certain extent. You worry, you know, how stupid could I have been? Because uh, I always thought every day, you know, if I had just done something different, it wouldn't have happened. But I can't think that way because it did happen. So that's past. I can't worry about that. So uh, the main thing is, is just have a as much optimistic attitude as you can have. Work with whatever you can work with and get as good as you can get. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And just realize it's perseverance that gets you there. It's not patience. Right. <laughs> right. I'm so glad you mentioned perseverance because one of my favorite verses says, we can rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character and character produces hope. Yes. And that's what we're on our way to. We're all on our way to hope, but we got to pass through perseverance. And that's the part nobody wants. To right. go through. Yeah, patience is that thing where you calmly wait on it. Perseverance <laughs> is not calmly waiting. It's clawing and scratching. It's clawing and scratching mm-hmm. and thinking, I can do this. With your help, I can get this done. Right. It's relying on God. And that's what trust. it takes is perseverance. That one you always read about in scripture, you always think about it, and you always go, Well, I can give a definition to it, but you got to live it. Mm-hmm. Then you mm-hmm. understand perseverance. Mm-hmm. And that's why I feel like today, because my back hurts constantly, mm-hmm. even though I'm getting injections and stuff to help, uh, it hurts every day. So I'm reminded every day of that perseverance that you have to keep going. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's a great place to end. I want to thank you so much for your time, for your vulnerability, your willingness to share this story with people. I know, Bill, I know that what you have been through and the lessons you've learned through this microphone are going to minister to a lot of people who are going to hear it and all over the world. Who knows where they'll be, but no matter what they're going through, they're going to hear in your story something that will encourage them. So thank you so much. Well, you're welcome. I hope it helps. I want to thank Bill for sharing his story with us. I know it has to have helped some of you hold on just a little bit longer. 
And you may have taken away your own lessons from what he shared, but my three takeaways were, number one, walk around again. Wasn't it vivid to picture him walking the simple and repetitive path around his living room in order to grow in strength? He didn't wait to work with an award-winning physical therapist. He didn't wait to use expensive equipment. Bill just used what he had. He walked in a circle around his living room. And in your own hunt for hope, could it be that you would benefit from walking around one more time? Could it be that using what you have is the most important step you can take? Don't wait. Maybe doing something you've already tried, but doing it consistently will make a difference. Walk around again. Number two, set little goals so that you can get to the big goal. Bill knows how to tap into the power of achievement. If a goal is too far ahead, you can't pick up momentum. You can't even see the finish line. But meeting smaller goals feels good, and it propels you onward toward the end you have in mind. So in your own hunt for hope, will you consider breaking down your big goal and writing down three or five smaller goals that will keep you going until you get there. And number three, patience is waiting calmly. Perseverance is clawing and scratching, and perseverance is what it will take. Bill summed up my own philosophy in those brief sentences. In Hunting Hope, I wrote, If you look closely, you will find that hope hunters have dirt beneath their fingernails. They have been digging through the dark cave of a situation they didn't want in order to find the thin gold vein of contentment. Now, you know I'm a wordy, and one of my favorite words is scrappy. A scrappy thing is piecemeal, something put together from scraps. And a scrappy person is determined and argumentative. I have always described myself as scrappy. My personal spin on that word is that scrappiness is necessary to persevere. We have to be scrappy, willing to put together the broken pieces of our lives when they suddenly change. And we have to be scrappy in the determined way that we will argue with discouragement, saying, oh no, you will not come into my house, and you will not come into my heart. Hope hunters walk around again. Hope hunters set small goals to get to the big ones. Hope hunters persevere. Hope hunters stay scrappy. Wisdom in the secret Thank you for listening to the Keep Going Podcast. You can find more encouragement like this at NikaMaples.com and on Instagram and Facebook at NikaMaples. And now... May you be blessed by the truth of Galatians 6, 9. Don't become weary in doing good, for at the right time, you'll reap a harvest if you don't give up. We'll talk soon. Until then, keep going.